The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, I, <laughs> I love it in Flint. You're very astute. <laughs> Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And uh, joining us, uh, an alumnus of Armchair Politics and uh, a member of the Convention of States Project, Wes Whitaker. Wes, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. It's wonderful to be back here. I just got your text, by the way, uh, about 10, 15 minutes ago, and uh, I'll call you. I'm right on top of things today, I'm telling you. Well, that happens to me sometimes. Somebody will send me a text and think they're, you know, getting it right to me. And, you know, the next day it rolls in. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, Michigan's auto insurance companies are to issue refund checks to Michigan motorists no later than May 9th. Governor Gretchen Whitmer said Monday the Michigan Catastrophic Claims Association, a nonprofit corporation controlled by the insurance industry, is issuing $400 refund checks for each Michigan passenger vehicle and motorcycle that was insured as of 11.59 p.m. on October 31, 2021. Whitmer, who called for the refunds because of a $5 billion and growing surplus in the fund, said December 7th motorists uh, would receive the refunds in the first half of 2022. 
On Monday, Whitmer said the Department of Insurance and Financial Services has sent a bulletin to auto insurance companies setting a May 9th deadline for the refunds. The state insurance, uh, insurance agency has launched a website with answers to consumers' frequently asked questions about the refunds. It can be found at michigan.gov forward slash mcca refund. Does the timing of this refund play well for the governor's re-election bid? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I would, that was what I thought. <laughs> it was. It's going to uh, take a lot more than $400. Yeah. It's going to take a lot more than $400. It, uh, the only thing that could have been better is if they would have planned it, you know, a month before the November election or something like that. But, you know, I think during an election year, it does make political sense. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to get one or not, and I'm with Wes. I don't think four hundred dollars would, <laughs> yeah, would, would make up my mind one way or the other. True. But it does for a lot of people. We're moving to a time when uh, it's becoming more expensive to live because groceries and everything else, consumer goods are going up. We need every penny we can get just to close the gap between um, the cost of what something was yesterday and the cost of what something is today. Doesn't this put a whole new spin on buying votes, though? <laughs> <laughs> But it's always been that way. Yes, that's, that's nothing new. That's, uh, all kind of programs have been timed to, to, to hit, the, uh, hit the public during an election year. Yeah. yeah. When Al Kogel uh, first ran for a seat on the Mott Community College Board of Trustees, I worked on his campaign, and I was at one of the polling places. And, of course, I had a big Kogel sign, and he used the same font and, and style as appears on the Kogel's hot dog packages. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And people kept coming up to me thinking they were going to get free hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I came up to you and said, Mr. Kogel, huh? And no, <laughs> no. Just, uh, do Can you, I have some relish with my hot dog? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't want brochures or anything. You know, They didn't want to hear the pitch. They just came over thinking there was uh, somebody there handing out hot dogs <laughs> for election day, apparently. Um, well, the uh, U.S. Senate voted on Thursday to advance a bill to create a fast-track process allowing Democrats to raise the federal debt limit, a crucial next step as lawmakers race the clock to avert a catastrophic debt default. To get there, the plan supporters needed a uh, needed to break a GOP filibuster, which required 60 votes to succeed. The vote tally was 64 to 36, meaning... 14 Senate Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, crossed the aisle to vote with Democrats who control only 50 seats in the chamber. Was this the deal McConnell set up to allow Democrats to vote to raise the debt ceiling? No, guys, you know that McConnell had to have thought that through. He's not a, he's not a gullible man. He thought that through. And there are consequences that he avoided. I don't know if they are. If we had not done that, the consequences could be incredible. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. consequences could be. It's, it's, it's kind of strange we go through this dance every couple of months about the debt ceiling, and yet everybody outside of a few know that if you don't do it, you're, you're going to crash into a wall. 
you know what makes me sad about all of this, Paul and, and, and Diamond uh, West, is that uh, the debt ceiling is being raised $2 trillion. $2 trillion. Yeah, did I read that right, Henry? That that's yeah, the yes, amount it's I being... That's what I was yeah. I is that the uh, amount it's being... I am afraid. Is that the amount yeah, that, it's being increased means, by? Yeah. Count each year from now to the next decade how many trillion, what our debt would be at the end of the decade. So it's being raised to an additional $2 trillion. Right. That's what I thought. I think we're at about $28, $29 trillion. $29 trillion, yeah. Somewhere in that ballpark. People ask me why I'm involved in the Convention of States, and I just said, have you seen the news? <laughs> <laughs> the, in, the inmates are literally running the asylum. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the problem, and it's it's on two levels. One is um, the idea that we can't pass a budget federally. Mm-hmm. So it, it continues to be a series of continuing resolutions and in those resolutions, increases get made. The debt ceiling then has to allow for the borrowing to pay for the things that show up. If we had a budget, we wouldn't be revisiting the debt ceiling all the time. That's right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I complained yeah. about that for years, that we get... Well, it's been Cap, going on for years. At the end of the year, we get tapped during the year. But the average person doesn't even, under, and Paul probably understands it well, but the average person has no conception of True. anything when it comes to budgets and, and how financially the federal government works. I, I've talked to people since, since I first wrote Economic Warfare. They were shocked that the, that the Federal Reserve is not a government institution. Mm-hmm. They were shocked. They had no idea. And it's basically a loan shark for the government. You know, they just I was trying, I tried to explain um, how a government shutdown works to someone who lives in France. And they just, they, they just didn't get it. You know, how, how can the government shut down <laughs> well because their government shuts down like every every day at three o'clock for long <laughs> <and four five. laughs> exactly yeah yeah now uh, can we go back and uh, look at something that we thought about yeah, last please. week yeah and and that was um we talked about how much computers drive us and we don't know see them doing that computers talk to each other and maybe we can't shut down because these computers are running us. Stop and think about it. Well, there, there's that concern, Henry, that the artificial intelligence may, t- may yeah. overtake human intelligence in the in these decades or centuries to come. Yeah, so I, it may not Alexa's be, already may not be science fiction. Yeah, Alexa's already listening to your conversations. Your smart TV listens to your conversations. Yeah, who's on the other end? And maybe because of all of these six systems that's interactive, how are you going to shut down something without causing a complete disruption of the whole system and chaos? Well, 
Well, you know, whenever we shut the government down, it's never been exactly a total shutdown. I mean, the military is still there, the police are still yeah. there, but the, we closed national parks and things like that uh, for a while. All the dangerous institutions are still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <can take over>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was uh, I was out in Wyoming uh, last fall and went through a, a national park, and there were all these uh, what do you call them? Gophers or ground dogs or prairie Varm dogs? Varmints. Yes, prairie dogs. Yeah, <laughs> and they were all standing beside the road. And I asked the park ranger, "Why are they standing in a line beside the road?" Road says, Because people have fed them so much over the years that they just line up when they see cars coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Another federal program run amok. Right. <laughs> the Prairie Dog Benefit Program. <laughs> yes. Welfare for Prairie Dog. Right. Truth is stranger than fiction. That is that is funny. I, and I can't I can't remember the American writer who um told told the story of uh the lemmings lining up to jump into the water and commit suicide. And uh, somebody said, uh, why, do the, why do the lemmings do that? And the answer was, why don't people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, let's see. Um we just have a couple of minutes before we go to break, and I don't want to get into this uh, uh, next couple of pieces until we come back from the break. But um, any any other thoughts on uh, this uh, debt ceiling issue? As I, I say, I remember last week's question. We go through this all the time, and yet, I mean, it's the, the, to not do it would be disastrous. Yet every every couple of months we we have this kind of uh, yeah why uh, why have scenario. a why have a debt ceiling yeah I mean we're, we're paying if these are not, past bills if you're not going to use it as a cap on spending yeah exactly and it's uh, it's basically a past credit card bill you're paying off uh, but guys the debt ceiling is growing faster than the population itself and that spells disaster when those two curves intersect. Well, yeah, isn't this the first time since uh, since World War II that yeah, it's it's that the, it's equaling or exceeding the GDP? Uh, we did that during World War II and shortly thereafter, but this is the first time I believe since this World War II when it's come up to be be equal to, or I think maybe even a little bit larger than the GDP. Hey, I just have about a minute left until we go to break, and I and I do want to slide a little program note in here. Next week, we're going to be joined by Seth Radwell, the author of uh, American Schism, and we're going to talk about 2021 in review. Normally, we would leave that to the last Wednesday, which comes up on the 29th, but that week is going to be a repeat. So next week we're doing the year in review. The following week we're off. Oh. Okay. So mm -hmm. 
uh, on that note, we're going to take a, uh, a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. There's lots more of uh, armchair politics straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, 
Dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wes Whitaker. Um, this is one of my favorite stories from the week. Um, the White House on Wednesday launched a new website and an accompanying brand to promote the bipartisan infrastructure law, which was on full display during President Joe Biden's trip on Wednesday to Kansas City. The new building, a Better America branding, will also be used at other events, news conferences, tours, and listening sessions when Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, and various cabinet officials travel across the country to sell the law, White House officials said. The website that's part of the updated branding, build.gov, went live Wednesday morning. In the coming months, it will serve as a hub for governors, mayors, tribal leaders, business owners, union members, and other Americans to learn more about the bipartisan infrastructure law, according to the official. It will showcase how the massive $1.2 trillion law is being implemented and delivering for communities During his Kansas City speech on Wednesday, Biden adopted the new slogan and shared the new website. Does new branding improve the chances of passing this legislation? Well, I think it's a good effort. It's one that needs to be made. You know, and I think that we need to stop in this country and criticizing the President of the United States. We need to get in there and build, do what they did in the 16th, 17th century. They threw an idea out and we built on the idea. That's how the people from Europe became dominant in the world. So and here we can't put two nickels together to make a dime. And we need to support the president. The Republicans need to go out there, blacks, white, women. Oh, I think we might have lost him there, Henry. There. Uh, I was just going to say that I think one one flaw with both the infrastructure bill and the Build Back uh, bill, uh, Build Back Better bill, is that they were not branded well enough. It was, wasn't clear what they were all about, except the most general stuff of, well, we're in favor of infrastructure and we've got a lot of social programs. But I think one mistake they made was that it wasn't clear to the general public what those what was in all those bills. There was, or else there was so much in it that it was hard to focus on what was important to somebody. So it might be it might be helpful. <laughs> Remember, that, that's that's the point is that it, there was so much in it. It was trying to be everything to all people, and it was ended up being nothing to anyone. Yeah, yeah, that, that was the risk exactly. Well, remember how so, that backfired in Michigan um, over plans to to try and fix infrastructure. Yeah, you, you had, remember you had that, like 475 when they they five years after they finished it, they're remember tearing the, it up and resurfacing it. Remember, <laughs> right. remember when they they um, put that uh, that bill on the ballot, and and I oh, the, I was uh, calling it the uh, 
Sinkhole de Mayo. Sinkhole de Mayo. Oh, yeah, that, that I remember. Yes, yes, I know what you're talking about now. Yes. That's, the, the election that year was on uh, May 5th. Yeah, I, I, now I recall. And, and that, in my view, that was not a terrible idea, but you're exactly right. It was so badly uh, badly sold that nobody knew what it was about. That is true. Well, and, and it had it had too many <clears throat> elements. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like how the governor fixed the roads around Fenton this summer. Paul can attest to this. Everywhere you lived in Fenton, you couldn't get there from here. <laughs> Every, everything was torn up. Yeah, for well, a reason. When to fix the damn roads, it makes a mess. Yeah. Yeah, I think Henry, I'm back, guys. Yeah, Henry's back with us. There you go, Henry. Somebody knocked me off because they didn't like what I said. <laughs> Probably the Chinese. Yeah, go say some Chinese or Russian hackers, Henry, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, the House voted 220 to 208 on Thursday to pass the Protect Our Democracy Act, which addresses presidential abuses of power and reinforces the checks and balances between the branches of government. One Republican, Representative Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, voted with all the Democrats for the bill. The bill now faces an uncertain future in the Senate, where 60 votes are required for passage. The bill, which has support from the White House, aims to strengthen guardrails that were tested by former President Donald Trump, including limitation on presidential pardons, the requirement for candidates for president and vice president to submit their personal tax returns for 10 years, and the acceptance of any foreign or domestic emoluments. Um, is this legislation attempt an attempt to close the barn door after the horses are gone? Mm. You think? Probably, yeah. Why don't they pass legislation that says if you run for federal office that you have to put every asset into a blind trust while you're in office? Why, why yeah, don't they that, do that? Yeah, that that's that's been a common okay. practice for many, but not universal. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, and like I said, I think... Uh, point. It, it makes some ideological points in the House, but I, I think realistically in the Senate, I, I doubt that it's going to have much chance of getting through, mainly no. because it's defined in partisan terms. As an abstract idea, some of those things are not terrible ideas, but they're going to be seen as, again, mm -hmm. simply a, a partisan move on the part of the Democrats in and, 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 and the Senate. Don't you think that's part of the problem we have now, is everything's gotten oh, absolutely. so partisan? <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, What's what mystifies me is, I mean, is, take a look at the uh, the pandemic. I mean, wearing a mask is a partisan activity now, or getting a shot, or lots of other things too. I mean, it's just there's very little that's not. I'm, I'm amazed at how, you know, normal school board decisions are are you know, become bitterly partisan. I mean, they used to be very routine kind of activities. And they're against the law. That's those are uh, nonpartisan school boards. You supposed to be, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a violation of our uh, of our law uh, to um, bring partisan issues to a school board meeting. Well, that's one of the, the attacks that I've taken in what I'm doing now. Is I'm I'm reaching out to people on a nonpartisan basis based on values that we all share. 
because it's not like that. I, I, I have, re- I have relatives that, that are died in the world Democrats, but yeah. they feel like their party's left them behind. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone off in a direction that they just don't agree with. They don't feel comfortable with all the stuff that's being promulgated. And the, you know, and there there are people, no matter what we do, that will never loosen a grip on being extremely partisan, which you will never get things to go your way all the time. And we've got to no. figure out how we can sometimes decide when to lose that grip. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. There's just no civil discourse anymore. You can't sit down and have a conversation with somebody on the other side of the aisle without it turning into name-calling and finger-pointing. and yeah. Gun shooting and stuff. Yeah, like exactly. That. You know, yeah, it's... profanity. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised we're not seeing more duels on the like, you know, on the Washington <laughs> Mall. Yeah, they may bring back dueling. Who knows? It's, that's right. There were days when that was that was common. Well, you know, back in the days of of duels, they had to have a a, a system because they didn't have magazines and clips that held 10 plus rounds <laughs> that's right <laughs> you didn't have duels with the ak-47 you had to make your point and get out most of the time well, when they, they had duels they shot point. most of the times when they had duels they purposely shot over the head of the opponent yeah that's what it I was just to make the point yeah right. I, li- right. I like what um when alexander hamilton and and Burr, Aaron Burr had their duel, and Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. There was a reporter that asked the mayor of Albany, John Lansing Jr., what he had to say about it, because he was known to be a very straightforward, straight-talking person. And he said to the reporter, he says, well, well I have all, not always favored Mr. Burr's politics. I feel he's done his country a great service. <laughs> and you know, I really liked Alexander Hamilton. He was one of my favorites. In the, you know, the uh, Federalist Papers, I helped to put the country together. Well, yeah, I would suggest that you read a lot of his writings and read into his history, and you'll, you may not change your opinion, but it, I think it would modify your opinion somewhat. He was a bit of a pompous ass to be quite yes, honest. I, I, I got that from just the other writings that I got. He was pompous. But he was also intellectually smart. And he knew well, a lot of those founding fathers weren't today. exactly saints. I mean, we kind of put them on this yeah. pedestal, but they were, yeah. they were human yeah. beings in their own time. But they had to be. They were dealing with human beings. You know, nothing, you know, you, you have to use deceptions in order to uh, to make your point because that's what everybody does. We don't always tell the truth. We only tell part of the truth. Well, the even con- on this show. The cons- well, we don't have time to tell the whole truth. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm no, not sure nothing but. <laughs> I, and I'm not sure it'd be such a good idea. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for that. <laughs> We can't handle the truth. Is what that line is? (laughs) That's true. Well, the conservative Supreme Court, led by Chief Justice John Roberts, has long wanted to diminish 
racial remedies in American life and may now be headed toward a far-reaching decision on university affirmative action. The court is likely to decide in upcoming weeks whether to hear a challenge to Harvard's admission practices, which critics claim unlawfully consider students' race benefiting blacks and Hispanics but disadvantaging Asian-American applicants. The Department of Justice late Wednesday urged the Supreme Court to reject the case against Harvard. The filing from the office of U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogar um, emphasized that lower U.S. courts had extensively reviewed Harvard's racial admissions practices and found them sufficiently limited to meet Supreme Court precedent as they furthered the school's interest in campus diversity. Admissions practices that take account of students' race first upheld in a 1978 Supreme Court decision and reaffirmed in 2003 have boosted the admission of black and Latino students for decades. Proponents argue such diversity enhances campus life and the educational mission. Are affirmative action policies still needed to encourage diversity on college campuses? Hmm. Well, if I could say this, I think opportunity will bring that along. As long as there are no barricades to uh, learning and to money and stuff like that, affirmative action should not be, not be used. And besides, affirmative action disgraces people by race. Uh, that means that you can, and, and that But, you know, one could argue, will, you know, one could argue, you know, Henry, there was a time that it was needed, Yeah, but maybe that, yeah, it's done not, its job. I didn't say that. I didn't say that there was no time it was needed, because this country was known to be very, very biased to blacks, and Latinos, and other people of color. I, I didn't say that. But I'm saying no, no, opportunity, I'm, I'm, equal I'm, opportunity. I'm not saying but you said two, that. I'm, sides I'm just suggesting that perhaps it's done its job. You know, yeah, I wonder, oh, yeah. in, in that's, terms of that's where we're going, and I think that's where I'm going also. We're on the same track. I was wondering, I in terms of affirmative action, where would the courts go with the other other affirmative actions that places like Harvard have? You know, they give preference if your parents went there, or if you're a good athlete, or if you've got other particular skills of one kind or another. I mean, it's true that they give it based upon race, but they've also got so many other categories of, of what you might call affirmative action, as I say, a, a legacy kind of thing where your parents went there or if your grandfather gave them a million dollars for a new building somewhere along the mm -hmm. way. Those things all play a role in, in college admissions, for better or worse. And in, in many ways, the racial affirmative action may be really a smaller part of the larger the larger picture where benefits are given in so many other categories. As I say, if you're and a affirmative action affirmative action guys has really hurt black colleges. They have oh, not been funded probably. at yeah, the same degree that white colleges are. And the white colleges, they take the affirmative action advantage. And the black colleges are left with uh, just, just art to run their schools with. It's no wonder they can't achieve the same goals that white colleges do. They have much more funding to do. And affirmative well, action is at the core of that. Well, the affirmative action argument has missed the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is being responsibility and preparation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fine 
if you're having two candidates and you're judging them based upon their grade point average, their accomplishments in school and everything, and you select one of those two, I mean, I'm all for saying that, you know, you got to keep it totally an even playing field, regardless of race, make sure that the opportunity is available. But there has to be a decision for the decision. Yeah. We're on the same page. They've gone, they've gone all the way to the extreme of saying, well, we're going to let somebody in just because they're black, just because they're Hispanic. And they had a C average in school and was a gangbanger, you know. It doesn't make any sense. No, and, you know, and I think the dyslexic needs to be um, talked about more often so that people get the drift of it's difficult to try to raise uh, the level of um, presence for uh, people of color on a campus if they don't work to the same degree to strive those standards expected at high-level colleges. You don't want to dumb down the process. They're going to do what they did in the 16th and 17th century. I think, like, I think people like Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell have, have proven that people are capable of achieving great things regardless of their skin color. Yes. Certainly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. As I say, school, schools are given benefits. Like I say, if you're a good football player, I suspect U of M or Ohio State will figure out a way to get you in, uh, whether you have a C-plus average or not. Um, oh, that's okay for that, but I'm talking about for academic know. things. Yeah, yeah. Go well, schools do that for many categories. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, you know, every week before we do armchair politics, Paul sends me an email on Tuesday with a uh, list of bullet points. And he always ends it with, and of course, whatever happens in the next 24 hours, which I, I, I still snicker at when I see it. But, <laughs> Always something. But um, <clears throat> usually the things that I have selected from various news media to include are very similar to the list. But this time there were several things on the list, Paul, that, that I didn't catch. Um, and, and we have a few minutes before the break and before we go to the X-Files, and I thought we'd touch on a couple of them. One is, I didn't see any speculation about Chris Christie running against Trump for the Republican nomination in 2024. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I've heard a little bit about that. So uh, I was yeah. to watch him on, on the Sunday morning talk shows. He's sort of kind of carving a role out as an anti-Trump, but still strongly conservative Republican. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've, I've heard at least a few people suggesting the possibility that he may be the, the anti-Trump Trump uh, if there is one in 2024, uh, and I and I don't think Christie has denied that that possibility either that I'm aware of. And Christie was bad. The he ha he hasn't he hasn't made a statement that he'll cross that bridge when he comes to it. <laughs> no. I don't believe so. <laughs> There's no traffic jam there. <laughs> when Orangeland, if you thought Orange Man was bad, wait till you see the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's true. When Trump ran the first time in 16, uh, Christie was the platform that he stood on. And Christie was and very, very, yeah. And uh, he did his job well. And then, uh, of course, he got criticized by some of the Trump administration. Until, until Trump started dominating the media, Chris Christie was the conservative yeah. favorite. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For quite a while. Yeah. And people love Chris, even though he 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 opened the bridge up so the traffic can flow and stuff like that. We remember that and how that boondoggle happened. I don't know. I don't know all those facts, but people still love Chris Christie. He's like Santa Claus, jovial. Uh, yeah, he so, does yeah. look like Santa Claus, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> a little bit. He, he may but if you listen to the words come out of him, if you listen yeah. to the words coming out of the man's mouth, he's got no new ideas. He's got. He doesn't even have a new take on old ideas. He just says these phrases that you can tell right off the bat. It's gone through a think tank, and they've tested him to see if okay, if that's acceptable. Doesn't have any substance to it at all he's a suit another hmm. point from uh, paul's email yesterday that uh, that escaped me completely and i want to find out a little bit more about it paul is um the special elections that are being scheduled to fill what you describe as several vacant state house seats how how many are there? Do you know? I believe there are two. I, I, I don't have the list in front of me. There's two. I think they're mostly suburban Detroit, where for one reason or another, I know somebody passed away or, or just well, left one, other one, one state house member was elected mayor. I think that was, was okay. that Dearborn? That may be yeah, it. Yeah. No. I knew it was in the yeah. suburban Detroit area. Yeah, I think so. I think it was Dearborn. And there was kind of kind of some, some squabbling about whether or not Wetmer would wait till November of next year to do those or squeeze them in early. So I guess she's gone ahead for some special elections. I think it's in March and May, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about those in, in the, yeah. the weeks and months to come when we get into the new year. Um, I also wanted to mention, and we've only got about two minutes, um, is that there was a memorial last Sunday at the Flint Institute of Arts for former Congressman Dale Kildee, who served, what, 36, 38 years representing like that, this yeah. area. And I just wondered if anybody had any quick thoughts uh, about about Dale. We we brought him up I a do. couple of weeks ago when he passed away. But I do. Go ahead, I Wes. Do. I was on Dale Kildee's first political campaign when he ran for state senate. I was 10 years old. The man was walking down the street and sat on my grandmother's porch for an hour telling me why he was running for state senate because I asked him, what does that mean? And he talked me into handing out mimeograph flyers for him in front of the Hamity store on the corner of Saginaw and Bristol Road. Oh. And this guy was the epitome of what a politician should be a public servant should be you know i'm glad you said that wes because my impression of of dale was that he was the best of what old school politicians could be let me let me give you an example in somewhere in the mid 80s i was working for siemens in atlanta moving a division from boston to atlanta and i had to fly through the miami airport for some reason two o'clock in the morning i'm walking through the concourse and i hear Wes, how are you doing? <laughs> and I turn around, and it's Dale. I hadn't seen him since, you know, five or six years. And he still remembered me. We stopped and talked for ten minutes. And when I was when I was involved with the Republican Party in the mid-90s and Michigan Outreach Chairman, 
I'd go to these events. He'd take me around and introduce me to everybody and say, this is, this is Wes Whitaker. He's the GOP outreach chairman, but he's a good guy. He's one of the good guys. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's the way he was. Unfortunately, we're yeah. out of time. We've got to go to break. But uh, it's nice when you can say nice things about a politician. And I have a lot to say about Dale Kimby as well. Maybe we'll get but, that uh, toward the end. Yeah. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the X-Files. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all you, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. 
American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the final segment of uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics. We lead it off with uh, my favorite segment, The X-Files. Saudi authorities have conducted their biggest ever crackdown on camel beauty contestants that received Botox injections and other (laughs) artificial touch-ups, according to the... uh, state-run Saudi press agency on Wednesday with over 40 camels disqualified from the annual pageant. Saudi Arabia's popular King um, Abdulaziz uh, Camel Festival, which kicked off earlier this month, invites the breeders of the most beautiful camels to compete for some $66 million in prize money, Botox injections, facelifts and other cosmetic alterations to make the camels more attractive are strictly prohibited. Jurors decide the winner based on the shape of the camels' heads, necks, humps, dress, and postures. This year, authorities discovered dozens of breeders had stretched out the lips and noses of camels, used hormones to boost the beast's muscles, injected camels' heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger, inflated body parts with rubber bands and used fillers to relax their faces. (laughs) The Camel Beauty Contest is at the heart of the massive carnival, which also features uh, camel races, sales, and other festivities typically showcasing thousands of dromedaries. The extravaganza seeks to preserve the camel's role in the kingdom's Bedouin tradition and heritage, 
even as the oil-rich country plows ahead with modernizing mega-projects. Camel breeding is a multi-million dollar industry, and similar events take place across the region. Would you fake a smile for a camel? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't know that, that you could improve a camel's looks. Yeah, apparently so. Oh. I'd like to see one of these. I, I had the Botox and stuff. Well, I, I saw some video of that, of that event, and I guess uh, they were marching a couple of camels in a row. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess to each their own. I think I dated one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. One more, and we'll we'll take a couple minutes for final comments. But uh, a pot brownie made this week in Norwood, Massachusetts, is bringing new meaning to the term getting baked. That's because the dank dessert treat is an 850-pound monster measuring 3 feet wide, 3 feet long, and 15 inches high. It contains more than 20,000 milligrams of THC. The massive <laughs> marijuana brownie was created by Merimed, a multi-state cannabis operator, to celebrate National Brownie Day on December 8th and to promote the company's new brand, Bubby's Baked. <laughs> Besides the cannabis, the behemoth brownie also contains 1,344 eggs, 250 pounds of sugar, 212 pounds of butter, 81 pounds of flour, and 122 pounds of cocoa powder, among other ingredients. A team of five cannabis confectioners needed 24 hours to make the brownie. It wasn't easy, according to Merrimed official Ryan Crandall. Crandall says the plan is to sell the giant brownie to a medical marijuana patient in Massachusetts. Who buys an 850-pound brownie, pot or otherwise? Cheech and Chong. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Do you think that that would inspire kids in school? Because I've heard of kids uh, making brownies and bringing them to school and sharing them. And that might do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. with an 850-pound brownie, you could feed the whole class. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, the whole school. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for uh, for the X Files and uh, for armchair politics, and we just we have about three or four minutes left till the end of the show and uh henry i know you wanted to say something about yeah. dale kildee before we wrapped up today. yeah in three categories real quickly uh things that i remember about dale k i was i was chairman of the seventh congressional district and you know dale kildee won his election to congress out of the seventh congressional district for years and i got this from close listening to other republicans Republicans liked Dale, uh, Dale Kildee. There's no doubt about it. And they didn't run anybody against Dale, except the mediocre candidates for years against Dale Kildee, except one or two uh, that were really good. And the other thing, every time one of my family members died, Dale Kildee was always there to help celebrate their, their uh, life and celebration. And uh, thirdly, I represented General Motors on the area-wide chamber, and I. And one of the things that we had to do in General Motors was going to dedicate this lagoon pond that had a tertiary treatment to water that 
went into the river. We needed a flag that had flown over the Capitol for dedication because the vice, uh, the senior vice president of General Motors Corporation was going to be there. So what they wanted me to do was to uh, the um, Margaret Dole was the was the chairman of the Transportation Committee for the United States. But she had just lost the election, and so I couldn't get a hold of her. So I turned to Dale Kildee and said, uh, and not in this words, it was much more refined than this, but we need a flag Henry, uh, to Henry. dedicate our lagoon set. And Dale Kildee provided it. Those are stories that I remember. Oh, by the way, one more. Hen- Henry, I, I just, I just have to ask, when you said huh? Margaret Dole, did you mean Elizabeth Dole? Elizabeth Dole. Hey, you Elizabeth always Dole. get her I'm name sorry. wrong, Henry. I, I don't know what it is. I have a sister named Margaret. I'm one named Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And apparently but you mix them up. Me. But, but, I, but, um, but I, one other story about Dale Kelly. Hamilton Community Health Network was just growing. And um, we needed some capital investments from Washington. And Dale Kelby made sure two successive years we got a $500,000 gift to Hamilton. And you could, as you know, Hamilton Community Health Network is one of the most successful black ventures in this community. It still holds that. And thanks to Dale Kildick, because he helped to financially make it stable. Yep. I just, I, I have a very, very quick Dale Kildy story. I had lunch with him a couple of times over the years. And one time it was election time. And he was running unopposed for his congressional seat. And he commented on it. And he said, I don't know what that means when I'm running unopposed. And I said, Dale, I think it means nobody's pissed. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he laughed and he said, you know, unfortunately, I think you're probably right. Yeah. That people don't get involved yeah. because they're interested in something. They get involved because they're angry. Or they are, yeah. And, and and he was that kind of guy who could reach across across the party lines pretty well. And he's somewhat like Wes said. Every time I saw him, he could recall my name, even though uh, oh, I saw like him. we worked at, I, I saw He was him very at, good at that. I saw him at Angelo's in, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, just getting back from Washington for the weekend and stopping by there for a Coney, and he would walk through yeah. shaking people's hands and calling them yeah. by name, just customers yeah. at yeah. random. Uh, and one table he spoke to in Spanish. Oh, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. He, he really was. He was the epitome of, yeah. of the best of the old school politicians. Anyway, we've got to wrap it up on that note, but what a what a great note to end up on. I agree. Um, well, thank you guys for letting me participate. Oh, Wes, it was great to have you. Wes, Wes Whitaker from the great, Wes, good talking to you. Convention you, of Parties Project. And, of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a good evening. All right, take good care. Good evening. Goodbye. Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition starting at 9 a.m. Eastern. And um, next Wednesday, don't forget, it's the year in review. Seth Radwell will join the roundtable. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. 
We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.